Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. One of my favorite newsletters... Actually, I've really got to give you all a list of all of the newsletters I subscribe to at some point if you're interested in that sort of thing. One of my favorite newsletters is The New Consumer by Dan Fromer. Dan published his own analysis this week of the Casper IPO, and I couldn't help myself. I needed to delve into the Casper financials in greater detail. But also, we talk about scandal marketing. Can brands be canceled? And our own analysis of this week's Netflix earnings. Enjoy. So, Dan, the the fact that your newsletter is, you know, the new consumer, and it's like about the... Talking about the the new ways people spend their money, the sorts of new relationships people have with brands and products, um, I imagine that Casper is like it's kind of like a flagship sort of uh, company or test case right in your wheelhouse, right? In many ways, especially because it was one of the first big kind of flashy direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands, um, you know, along with I think Warby Parker was probably the first big one, and mm-hmm. Casper was already probably post that stage where folks were looking at Warby Parker and saying, ah, what can we do the Warby Parker for, uh, whether it's luggage or mattresses um, or makeup or anything. Right. So you like know, a, hundreds a, of ideas. Away, Harry's, Everlane, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry's was actually started by one of the founders of Warby Parker who saw the, the model work and um, wanted to solve some other problems with it. So, Actually, you know what? I'm thinking maybe let's back up. So let's let's define terms. Direct to consumer or D to C is like sort of the buzzword that everybody talks about. But like you actually in your in your newsletter, I'm trying to pull it up real quick. Like you kind of described it like uh, they they were all supposed to cut out the dusty, useless middlemen to deliver unbelievable value. They had simple product lineups. Casper had launched with like one mattress. Um, they were the idea was they're moving dollars online that were previously spent offline, right? Yes, and Casper famously had all these ads, including a lot of podcast ads, that basically said, come on, that mattress store is gross, that sleazy salesman is getting paid on commission, they don't care about you, here, we've designed the perfect bed for you, it's, there's only one option, it's great, it's 500 bucks or whatever it is, uh, and it gets shipped to you for free, and if you don't like it, we'll take it back. And, um, you know, that, that, was, that was fresh, that was something that that a lot of people hadn't heard, and um, and they were clearly onto something. Well, and also I think a, a key component of this is the idea, or at least maybe this is a key component of selling this to, to venture capitalists, is that uh, you can have a direct relationship with your consumer in, in the sense that you every, every product or, or company wants you to have a relationship with their brand, but then you have to do it via Target or Walmart or whatever. And, and all of these companies were all about, no, we're, we own the customer directly. They have direct affinity with us. Exactly. And not only do they get our email newsletters, but a lot of them actually 
uh, want to tell their friends about how awesome we are because it makes them look smart too. So there was this this word of mouth thing. It was it was kind of ideal for the early era of Instagram, um, and it, it, for a lot of these companies, it really blossomed. So okay. Casper is sort of a, a poster child of, of this whole thing, and um, they file to go public. The The filing comes out. Everyone on Twitter falls all over themselves to drag it, to pick it apart. Um, I guess we're just going to have to get into why they did that. But actually, it was funny in your newsletter. You're like, you know, uh, there are worse possible outcomes than going public at maybe a billion-dollar valuation. They're still alive, right? Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the the funny place we're in, like you know, sitting at computers looking at at IPO filings, going, "Well, if they only hadn't spent that much money on marketing, then you know." Um, but it you know, look like they the numbers which we can get into, or or you know, or, yeah, and, do that, do that, or or even not. Like, here's the thing about all these filings is that treated as a document, they are. They're a little ridiculous. Like they're full of these these crazy hyperbolic statements. We're a sleep company. We're mm. you know we're, we're starting the sleep economy. Stuff like that. We already knew what happened to Casper. It's it's very easy to to like open your eyes and go. Oh, there's a lot of these mattress companies now. Um, we already knew that. We knew there was a ton of competition. We knew that they were one of over a hundred of these mattress in a box startups. Um, Can I interrupt you? Please. Because I wondered the hell out of that. Why of all segments are there a hundred players in mattress in a box companies? Well, they saw they saw that Casper had a hit right out of the gate, and it makes sense. Like, yeah, the mattress store does suck, and those things are overpriced. And but it's there, an there aren't enough. there aren't a hundred Warby Parker competitors. I don't know. I mean, probably not as many because um, there's the whole regulated uh, prescription right, element right, right, of it, right, right. which like was a bigger headache to solve. But mattress sales are, I mean, unless that tag on the bottom is is scarier than I thought. To, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if you and I could probably, if we wanted to, start a mattress company by next week. So, and many did, and you know, they saw how Casper was finding customers and. I mean, I could probably name three or four of them. I definitely couldn't name ten, and I don't think most of them have any anywhere near the brand equity that Casper does. But apparently, that doesn't matter that much. I mean, you can at least look like not all of them are going public. Although one of them, Purple, I guess Purple Sleep or something, did do a reverse like merger with yeah. the public company and now is public, so you can see their numbers as well. But Casper, you know, Casper figured it out until. Until all of a sudden, which we knew, like there were tons of competitors in the market. It was extremely expensive to acquire customers. Luckily, beds are still pricey enough that they could, uh, and they could, and and have continued to focus on uh, acquiring customers profitably. So, you know, essentially spending less money to acquire the customer than it than they would make in. I guess probably gross margin on each mattress on, on the first mattress sale. Um, but then the big picture was, all right, we're, as you said, we're going to own this customer and yeah, we're going to start with the mattress, but then we're going to sell them all this other stuff. And if you look in their filing, it's everything from the things they already offer like pillows and, and bedding to, you know, sleep technology and uh, sleep services and all this sort of stuff. And 
I don't know. Like, well, I, I think that's why a lot of people were dragging them because it's like they mention that stuff, but there's no actual indication. Like, it's not like, well, uh, two years ago, Casper created the sleep wearable that that has taken off, or that you know, there, there's other of these direct to consumer people like Brooklyn and that that do the stuff that in theory they can they can go into ancillary <laughs> products and things like that. Yeah, you could make the argument that they just didn't push enough stuff out fast enough. And, and really, if you look at a lot of these companies, you, you know, you can praise them for their minimalism, but maybe they actually move too slowly. And in Casper's case, you know, you look at the filing and I think it said something like 16% of their customers have come back and bought something else. But most of the people who bought mattresses just bought another mattress. So, um, you know, which is not- great. I mean, th- th- listen, uh, people like your product. They come back for another one. It's just that how many mattresses does a household buy in its lifetime? You know, right. And and does this message, you know, this we're a sleep company, we're starting the sleep economy. I know you have to put that stuff in the filing, and I know that that helps raise venture capital, and it sounds good. It certainly sounds better than, yeah, we're a mattress company, unless there's some like extreme highly patented technological thing that they're doing with mattress technology that no one else can copy, which is not the case here, then you got to move fast if you're going to be the sleep company that everybody, you know, trusts their sleep to, which they're not. So I don't know. Well, well see. but see, that's the, I think that's what a lot of people react to, or, or maybe everybody that like the, in, the climate has changed for this sort of thing. Yes, like so. I'm I'm, I'm literally looking at the numbers here. Um, uh, the so-called sleep economy, as they're calling it, is a 432 billion dollar market. They claim, but mattresses are only 81 billion dollars of that. And and so I think the thing that people are reacting to is it's like not lipstick on a pig is maybe too harsh, but the you know the the sort of somersaults that these companies have to do to make it sound like there's something other than oh yeah. A mattress company. Right. And then the key question is, is this a, you know, is this a very strong public company that should be independent and has a very clear path to, you know, whether it's multiple brands under one parent company, uh, the way a lot of these companies are setting themselves up now is these kind of DTC uh, holding companies, or you know, is the Casper brand so strong and already generating a profit so that they can self-fund this new phase of their growth? And the answer seems to be neither of those. So, as a lot of people have pointed out, you know, e- either this is a head fake to get someone, presumably Target, to pony up a billion dollars and take them out and make them a Target brand, or uh, or maybe just the IPO won't happen. Um, they're low on cash. They don't know. I think they're. I think it's like under 100 million in cash left. Uh, something's going to have to happen. Clearly, they put the time and effort into this IPO document. My guess is that the founder and CEO Philip Krim would love to be the CEO of an independent public Casper, but certainly not the most confident I've been in an IPO filing that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, you $100 million left. They lost $67 million in the first nine months of 2019. And then, uh, I mean, one more thing is like, so all of the, uh, everyone pointed out that it's something like 33 and 42% of sales um, 
that like goes to marketing it, like so it, you know in theory they could turn that tap off but if you do then you have no growth and then why why would anybody buy stock in a company that suddenly their growth is like that's not their their growth is already slowing which is not a, a good thing to have happen right before you IPO anyway yeah pretty dramatically too i believe it's uh it was something like you know, 40% in 2018 and then 20% in the first nine months of 2019. So, um, no, not ideal. And and potentially we'd be looking at a situation where going public would essentially kill the company anyway, because if they do go public and the markets turn up their nose at it, and then all of a sudden they're down at a $200 million valuation, they're going to get bought out anyway, just not at any anywhere near the valuation that they would have wanted. But... Um, all right, crazy. Double Up is an agency that helps content creators, influencers, podcasters, YouTubers, Patreon stands, literally anyone create a business around subscription models and freemium models. Let me read you some quotes from folks who have used Double Up to create wildly successful businesses. Double Up helped us monetize the drive and launch a profitable, fast-growing digital subscription business. That was Peter Adia, leading physician and expert in the science of longevity, host of the top health podcast, The Drive. Double Up's team were invaluable to the successful relaunch of my premium membership offering. From analytics to messaging and creative direction, their experience helped turn my viable business into one that is thriving. That was from Rhonda Patrick, PhD in biomedical science, host of the Found My Fitness podcast. Over the last year... Double Up has helped companies, influencers, and podcasters build millions of dollars of value. Build some value out of what you're passionate about today. Go to the folks at Double Up Agency. That's doubleup.agency. And when you get in touch with them, tell them Brian sent you. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. 
Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their Airnet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mac Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Can I? Can we talk about uh, Away real briefly? Not Away specifically, but sort of... A lot of these DTC companies have had controversies lately, Um I I don't think I ever talked about it on the show, but like Away had this controversy surrounding leaked Slack messages from the CEO. The CEO stepped down. You had uh, Peloton with its whole um, ad that people thought was misogynistic and supposedly led to like a one day drop of millions of dollars of market cap and things like that. Um, First of all, on Away though, specifically, uh, like you delved into the data, and while the controversy didn't help, you saw that Away's growth was already slowing much, much earlier in the year. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation, and there's probably a lot of different factors, but um, including potentially this desire to focus on profitable growth. I've heard several times that Away, and maybe it was in the articles around this controversy that away is profitable. I don't know. I don't haven't, I haven't looked at their books, but um, they've always kind of suggested that they are, they've always been profitability focused. Uh, and, and my guess is that the margins on a $400 suitcase are pretty good. So especially that's made out of uh, molded plastic. So um, yeah, the, but so that, that's kind of what I dug into. And uh, just for context, so a, a lot of the data I'm, I'm going to talk about is from this company that I've been working with called Earnest Research. And they're one of several companies that basically buys aggregated credit card and debit card spending data from the credit card companies and then builds a user interface around it that their clients can use to track consumer spending. Um, you can guess who their clients are, hedge funds, venture capital funds, anyone who really would get a, a some sort of benefit from knowing what people are spending their money on. I wish I could afford a subscription. Mm. You and I, well, you and I can't afford one, mm. but um, anyway, so they, they've been very helpful and they partner with, um, with myself and, you know, a lot of journalists and analysts um, to provide their data. So, you know, when the away thing um, happened, I asked them just for context, you know, how is their growth looking these days? And, um, it's down. I mean, you know, th- this is th- this is one of the situations where, like, the company at some point is just growing so fast that, of course, the numbers are going to shrink. Like, you can't – if you're doubling every year forever, that's pretty crazy because then to double, you have to grow twice as much as you did the year before. So, you know, it was something like the end of 2018, they were still growing over 100% um, year over year. And these are m- on a monthly basis, so every month's a little different. Um, but then by the middle of 2019, um, they had you know a month or so below 50%, and then starting really in the summer, it looks like it really declined. You know, went back up to 100, and then down um, below 50%. So 
it looked like growth was already starting to slow before this uh, controversy, this kind of PR crisis that they had. And then, you know, it was one of these situations where, and, you know, feel free to read my articles on newconsumer.com or really anywhere, but it's the Verge was the first to report this. The CEO, you know, was saying some unpleasant things to the, uh, you know, the employees of the company. Uh, it didn't look good. And there's kind of this movement right now, um, you know, very pro-labor movement. And so there was a lot of uh, kind of a lot of backlash, especially on Twitter. Um, we could have a whole side conversation about, you know, what the mood of Twitter does and does not reflect is, about. Is Twitter real life? Hashtag is Twitter real life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and how that correlates to people's actual shopping. I, I, I will say, like. You know, in real life, and yes, I'm a part of the New York media world, and I hang out with a lot of people who work in DTC and e-commerce and media. It was definitely something we were t- we were all talking about. You know, every holiday party I went to for a couple of weeks was like, man, those Slack those Slack screenshots, huh? Um, and but so so I went back to Ernest um, in this year in January, and I said, hey, you know does your data for the holiday season suggest that a ways controversy, you know, had a material impact on their holiday sales? Obviously Q4 is a huge quarter for a lot of, um, you know, a lot of companies, especially in, in e-commerce where holiday sales plus holiday travel, plus all these things would add up to a big quarter. Um, and it looked like the year over year um, for December, and was already kind of below uh, below where it was last year. November was basically flat year over year, which is not good. Um, although the big asterisks here, Black Friday and Cyber Monday were a week later in 2019 than they were in 2018. So the months kind of shift on you and it's really hard to make these year over year comparisons. Anyway, the big picture point is a ways sales, at least according to earnest research did not plunge like 50% or something like that. There wasn't this massive, massive mainstream. We're not going to buy away anymore. That just didn't happen. Um, well, that, that's kind of what I wanted to poke out a little bit is like, I, you know, we just said that these one of the things that these direct to consumer companies sell themselves on and rely on is is the brand affinity and like you're an aspirational brand, you want to identify with the brand or whatever. So maybe they're more sensitive than others to controversies and things like this. But at the same time, I'm just wondering, you know, in the in the in the information and news and and social media metabolism that the world has right now, is it basically impossible for company or a brand to be canceled and i'm even thinking think all the way back to like hashtag delete uber like maybe and i'm not suggesting conspiracy theories here like you would gin up a controversy just to get attention but i mean you know i think a lot of normal people might have heard about you know away for the first time because of this controversy like is 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 it impossible i guess for a brand to be canceled right now i mean it it if it, it probably depends on what you're measuring, like sentiment, and you're totally right. Like these brands rely on their customers not only 
you know, to provide word of mouth referrals, but to almost act as a community and almost to endorse them on social media, you know, away, Glossier, um, Everlane, a lot of these, these brands probably get like a non-trivial amount of sales through essentially free marketing through people's social media accounts. So, um, that's definitely part of their model and really important to their future is that they are not only loved, but, you know, beyond normal, like that people are almost freakishly, um, you know, uh, fans and promoters of their brands. Um, probably less so for a way than like a Glossier or a Sweetgreen or something like that, but it's definitely part of it. You know, people post their luggage all the time and that's definitely part of their, part of their model. Um, so I, look, their sales did not, like I said, their sales did not crash the, the month of December. Um, they did slide quite a lot the last half of the year. Their growth did specifically. They're still growing year over year, but on a much slower rate than they had the year previously. Again, according to this one data provider, which Away has not, you know, I've offered Away the opportunity to tell me that these numbers are totally wrong and they have not taken that opportunity um, when I've asked for comment. But according to this data, again, US only through credit card tracking. Um, their growth really did start to slow in the second half of the year, but uh, they did not shrink according to this data. So it, it's n- it's not like their customers all ran away. And um, within uh, by this point, no one even remembers the controversy anyway. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, however, so Ernest also sent me something else, which is interesting, and this is kind of how I even found out about them is that they were tracking Soul Cycle attendance after um the trump fundraiser mm. with the guy who you know everyone thinks owns soul cycle and equinox and there remained in and this was uh late october data their soul cycle attendance was still shrinking year over year versus 2018 huh. um you know throughout august september and october even though it was growing in may and flat in june and growing a little in july so Again, one data source, but mm, yeah, it looks as if. And then you know, it, it, in summer months, I guess it. Um, I guess I don't know. I, I I'm not an expert on this company right now, but the it looks as if the shrinkage was worse this time around than previously. Um, well, now, well, not, can, not is only that all is that all attributable to the controversy around a Trump fundraiser. I you know probably not like. Maybe a lot of people are buying are buying Pelotons. Um, maybe people are running. Maybe they're bored with SoulCycle. I don't know. But it does seem like, and if you you know, if you talk to someone in the like in the world of of media and and related fields, if you mention Equinox or SoulCycle, you're probably still going to get an eye roll or something like that. So uh, I think there is some lasting damage to these brands from this, especially because they rely on people to really love them. But I don't think, you know, and the delete Uber case is a great example. Like, that's not what caused a lot. Their internal problems are what caused most of their difficulties, which allowed Lyft to survive, which, you know, caused a a real uh, competition to exist in the U.S. that would not have probably otherwise existed. But, um, yeah. Well, and I was just going to say, like, you know, 
maybe you were saying not enough data, not enough, not a big enough uh, sample size, but also it could entirely be situational specific, you know, di- totally. different countries or, or different companies versus different news events and things like that. Um, real quick. I think what we can say conclusively is like none of these companies were ruined by one small right. controversy that, you know, may have lit Twitter up for a couple of days, but um, I would, I'd be very surprised if any of these companies, you know, cease to exist solely because of one of these controversies. Love, love, love Yahoo Finance. Use it every day to research companies we talk about on the show. Heck, I used it constantly when I was writing the book to look at the historical performance of dot-com companies. But when I'm working on my own portfolio, it's also the autocomplete in my browser, yahoofinance.com. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. And when you use it for your personal investing tool like I do, you can securely link your brokerage accounts to it for a unified view of of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all, you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. Think of it as an observability dashboard, but for your finances. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Um, real quick before you go, uh, the Netflix earnings were on Tuesday, and um, I spoke this week about how it's seemingly Netflix all of a sudden just wants you to know about its international growth. But what I actually didn't know until I saw your chart in the newsletter this morning was the real story is that international growth has come back. I didn't know that, but it had cratered a bit recently around, I guess, the price hike, and now it's back to where it was and accelerating above that. Yeah, and I went back and looked at that because I was a little surprised by that too. And I think, if I recall, that you know, it's one of these things where like quarterly data is probably easier than monthly to digest, but it's still, you know, there's still like a day or a month or a week where you know something may have happened in one quarter that maybe could have happened in the next quarter or something like that. If I recall, there was there was a point this year where, or last year, I guess, where Netflix says, uh, I think we actually grew a little more this quarter than we thought we would. Maybe some of those people were from, you know, would have signed up next quarter, but because there was a show that launched last quarter that was really great, they launched, they joined earlier. Um, that's going to happen. There's lumps here and there. I mean, I see that every every week in my subscription newsletter business. You know, some weeks are great, other weeks less great. And you're like, oh, well, maybe that person was going to sign up next week, but they signed up this week. I don't know. Um, I, think th- I think the broader picture is like, yeah, the U.S., they have a lot of subscribers in the U S it's going to be harder for them to gain new subscribers in the U S relative to the rest of the world where billions of people live. So, um, you know, the, clearly the story going forward for Netflix is not just a U.S. story. It's a global story. They do have competition in the U S it is good that they have competition in the U S it's good for the consumer. Uh, it's, you know, it's good for the media industry. It's probably good for the art of, of TV and cinema. Um, but the reality is that 
they are now years ahead of their U.S. competitors at building global brands, and they've put a lot of money and time into that. And you know, I, I, we see the results. And um, I, I don't think it's just this case where it's like, oh, well, they're just signing up a bunch of people in you know wherever. I think that is the point that they are building this global business, that they are trying to build a global culture around streaming media. And right now they're way ahead. Well, it's funny that you say that because until you said it in the newsletter this morning, I mean, this is obvious to say, but I hadn't thought about it until you said it. But like Netflix is now the incumbent. Like the the Netflix narrative all along has been like, oh, all of these legacy media companies have to quickly uh, f- build some way to compete with Netflix before Netflix e- uh, you know, kills their businesses. But no, Netflix is now the incumbent, and they have to defend their moat. And right now, international is their moat, right? Because a-, a lot of these other players won't be able to play internationally for a while, or even at all, in some cases. Yep. And it's not gonna, you know, it's clearly not gonna be easy. And, and a lot of these look, look these, as I also said, like these are companies that are worth tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. So they'll find the money to make an app. Um, you know, will they figure out the formula that Netflix has in terms of creating shows and marketing them and recommending them? Maybe like a lot of them have been making shows a lot longer than Netflix has been in existence, but this idea of marketing, uh, to consumers and not to the person at the cable company who's in charge of their carriage agreement is different. And, you know, that's where some companies, like, I think Disney will be successful there because they've always been really good at consumer marketing. But I'm less, com- you know, I, I, I'm just making this up now, but I'd probably be less confident in like NBC for figuring that out. Um, but it's so weird now. All these all these brands are owned by different companies. AT and T owns HBO. Like AT and T signs up millions of customers every month for cell phone service. So I don't know. It's it's such a funny, weird thing that's happening right now. And yeah, Netflix is the incumbent. Like they're the default. When you turn the TV on, like give me something to watch. Uh, if you don't have a cable box, then you're just by plopping on the Netflix icon and and looking for something. And uh, I think that's a powerful position to be in. Or asking people to pay to watch something, which some of these other companies haven't, you know, had to do before. Um, that is true. And I, I'm less nervous about that. Like, people spend money on all kinds of stuff. And, yeah, it's, it's easy to say, like, that people will get subscription fatigue or whatever. But a lot of these services are still an incredible value. Like, you know, I went to a bunch of movies over the holidays and it's like 40 bucks every time you go to the movies. Now, if you can get a, a month of whatever service for like eight bucks or something, that's a great value. So, uh, I'm, I'm less concerned about that. There is still obviously some, some hurdles in getting people to, to download your app and sign in and sign up, especially if they're trying to run away from Apple's 30% cut on Apple TV or whatever it is. But, um, I, I think some of them will figure it out. I think that's fine. I don't think there's any logical world in which Netflix is ever going to be just alone. I don't think this is Google search or Facebook where there is only one massive, you know, aggregator. Uh, I think that the, the very fragmented world of, of creativity and, you know, there, there, there are a lot, a lot of things at play beyond just economics that cause people to make decisions on who they work with there. So, um, I, I would be surprised if we're sitting here in 10 years and Netflix owns 90% of, uh, you know, paid video attention in the world. 
I think they're what, like 15% of viewership now or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a, I just made that up, but that sounds <laughs> like something that they've said in the past. We're like, you know, we're only like 15% of right. or of times overall TV time, time or something. Well, not even TV time. They're always talking about like your, your leisure time. They, they, they don't care about TV time. They want all of your, you know, non-working, That's non-sleeping right. time. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep is a competitor. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think they're fine. Um, Dan, I've been talking about all of these uh, insights and charts that have made me realize things. Uh, if other people want to get insights and charts like that, tell me how they should find out about New Consumer. Please, yeah. Uh, NewConsumer.com. Uh, it's a bi-weekly. Is that right? Is bi-weekly twice a week or yeah, every other week? I don't think there's a word I think for it's when both, it's right? twice a week. Is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've always assumed uh, bi-weekly is every other week, yeah. It's a it's a newsletter that you get twice a week that <laughs> is um, my analysis and commentary and reporting on how and why people spend their time and money. Uh, I write about direct to consumer. I write about um, future of media. Uh, I write about design. I write about what interests me, and you know, hopefully, it interests you as well. Um, there are some free articles. They're a little hard to find. I'm going to make them easier to find and there will be more free articles. But if you go to newconsumer.com, there's a click the join button and you can see all the options. You can sign up for a paid membership. You can sign up for a team plan if you want to sign your whole team up, or you can just sign up for free articles now as well. And, um, and of course I'm also on Twitter from dome and I'm there every day. Uh, go do it. It's a good newsletter. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. You know what? Do you know that you were my first subscriber? I do know that. I I remember. I appreciate you every day. I remember that you emailed me directly and told me that, and I was like, "Well, hey, listen, I know, (laughs) I know a good thing when I see it." I appreciate it. 